You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Thank you, Leslie. Um, It's true, we are Georgia fans. Well, my husband's a huge Georgia fan. Um, He watched the game again last night. I just, uh, you do that, honey. I'm going to just be in here. But, um... Yeah, and meeting him the first day of college, the actual, he's probably the first male I encountered at college. Kind of funny, he probably didn't realize he was in front of his future wife and father-in-law all at the same moment, but um, kind of a neat story to look back on. But Leslie, thank you for the um, introduction. It is so good to see everybody here. Um, I too would like to pray before we get started to calm my nerves and then we'll dig right in. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for this day and this time to gather with sisters in Christ um, from the Advent and all over town. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified during our time and that by your Spirit we would all come away with the hopeful reminder of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Leslie reminded you that I direct the children's ministry and also the nursery. And yes, um, I direct children's ministry, but so much of that role actually involves me spending time with and supporting and getting to know adults. So being with adults, um, especially women like you all, and digging into God's Word is something that I truly enjoy. And um, it's a big blessing of this role. And so what I want to do today is focus on one of the Psalms, Psalm 40 in particular. So I'm going to read Psalm 40 verses 1 through 2 in two different translations. The ESV translation reads, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. The NIV translation reads, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet upon a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And we'll come back to verse three in just a little bit. But this psalm written by David has been a foundational piece of scripture in my life for more than a decade now. Um, I come to it in almost any type of life circumstance and find it to be really encouraging to share with others when they are facing life's trials, whether big or small. Now, many of you might have had scripture memorized from a child or your teenage years, just ready for the moment when you needed it most, but um, that was certainly not the case for me. And right over there, right here, this lovely lady in white um, is my older sister, Amanda, my wiser sister, Amanda. Um, We're very close now. That was not the case um, way back when. But um, she and I did not grow up in a Christian home. We lived with our mom and our stepdad. We never once went to church. We never once read a Bible story together. We never once prayed together, never once talked about Jesus as a family. And um, that's just the life that we lived. But we were blessed to have friends that invited us to Christian events, and both of us got plugged into community Bible studies. But other than that, we really navigated Christianity um, on our own. So though I became a Christian as a child, it really wasn't until adulthood 
that I experienced true life in Christ. Um, right before my senior year of high school, my mom sold our house and moved, rented an apartment at Fox Hall Apartments in Crestline. And this was so that I could finish out my senior year of high school and so that she could spend most of her time at our horse farm in Springville, Alabama with her soon-to-be third husband. Um, you can imagine as a senior in high school, this had some fun um, faux perks at the beginning, right? You know, kind of living by yourself, getting prepped for college. Um, it was fun for a minute, but it got pretty lonely uh, fairly quickly and fairly often. I can't exactly remember when, but at some point throughout the year, I felt the nudge to go to church. And uh, we obviously didn't have a church home, and so I opted for Church of the Highlands. It was um, being held in my high school at the time. And so I went, discreetly hit up in the back row, and um, went a number of times. Now, I can't remember any of the sermons that I heard during those times, but I do recall floods of tears just streaming down my face. But I wasn't sad. I was overcome with the truth that God knew every single thing about me. He knew every single thing about my life and that he loved me. And that biblical truth is something that I was understanding and receiving for really the first time in my life. And it was um, just a seed that was planted that nudged me in um, my gradual but deepening relationship with the Lord. So back to Psalm 40. Fast forward to 2010. I had graduated college a few years before. I was 10 months into marriage, a real expert at the husband and wife thing. Uh, my husband, Kyle, what, we were in North Carolina at the time, and he was in a um, secretive military training um, where there was no communication allowed, so we hadn't talked in maybe a week or so. So I was alone when I got the call that our mom had been murdered by her husband. Clearly in a pit of despair, he took her life, ended her life, set the house on fire, and then committed suicide. So I um, was alone in an earthly sense. Um, my sister Amanda lived here in Birmingham, and so did my dad. And so earthly speaking, I was definitely alone. Kyle, I couldn't even call him and tell him. But I distinctively remember this intuitive desire and just audible proclamation of me just saying out loud to myself, Lord, you are with me. Lord, you are with me. I am not alone. You are with me. And that sustained me for several hours. But then I really was drawn to wanting to recite scripture out loud. The truth is, I just didn't have any memorized. And so um, I took out my phone and I searched for scripture for despair. And let me tell you, a very long list appeared which should tell us that the Bible has a ton to teach us about despair and darkness. So I, I browse through and I go for Psalm 40. I was able to grasp that whoever wrote those was in despair. They waited, but the Lord restored them. And so I knew I was about to enter a pit of despair, but if I waited, the Lord would rescue me. So that became my verse that I just repeated over and over, a hundred times probably that day, and for many weeks after. So I'll read it again. Psalm 40, 1 through 2. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. 
He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. I didn't have the understanding then to unpack the goodness of this scripture, so I would love nothing more than to share with you in about 20 minutes what took me a really long time to grasp. So there are four things I want to point out about this scripture. Four things that teach us about God and his role and us in our role. Number one, we will have despair. There's no way around it. When Jesus told his disciples they would have trouble in this life, he meant it. All of us in this room will likely face a few truly dark, desperate seasons of despair and then hundreds or thousands of smaller little bits of struggle throughout our lives. The words David uses makes it clear that his despair is really deep. He cried out to the Lord. He compares his despair to a miry bog, which is like a wet, gross swamp. The pits we experience are all different and yet the same. They are yuck, dirty, and hard to walk through. Pits are impossible to get out of alone. The pits of mud and mire can be broken relationships with a spouse or friend or family member, financial hardship, fear, failure, shame, drug or alcohol addiction, death, disease, depression, disappointment, regret, failure, loneliness, anxiety, the list goes on. If we can all accept that living in a fallen and sinful world will undoubtedly bring despair, we can move on to how we get through it with hope. So number two, we are called to wait patiently on God. We do not have the power and we were never designed to rule ourselves and other, others. And I am preaching to the choir. I need to hear that too. David knows this well and writes that we should wait patiently for the Lord. We wait on God to do his work in his timing. When we wholeheartedly believe and trust that he is Lord over everything, we can wait patiently, even if there's no end in sight, and trust that his will and timing is perfect. Healing and rescue can take time, months, years, or even a lifetime. Now that could be discouraging, but hold tight for just a bit longer. Number three, God is close to us. The psalm says he inclines to us. This gives us the image of him coming down to us, removing distance and being near. He is close and hears and wants our honest prayers. The whole reason he sent Jesus to earth was so that we could be in a relationship with him. So he desires this closeness and wants us to talk with him. So we wait and we wait patiently, but we don't wait and do nothing. We wait and continuously pray to God. And number four, we are not the rescuers. God is. He is the one who lifts David out of the slimy pit, and he is the one who will rescue you from your slimy pit. He pulls us out, but he doesn't just leave us there. The psalmist says he sets him on a rock and makes his steps secure. A rock is stable. It does not crumble. It is secure. So to sum this up, we will have despair. We are called to wait patiently on the Lord. God is close and hears our prayers, and you are not the rescuer. God is. So what do we do when we're in a pit? 
Whether it's massive or microscopic, we surrender it to the Lord and let him use it for his glory and his kingdom. So often, and I am guilty of this too, we are so focused on our earthly circumstances and think God answering our prayers means fixing the mess and tidying everything up and making our lives comfortable again. There is nothing in the Bible to tell us that this is God's plan for us. What the Bible does tell us that God is good and he is working all things together for good. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul talks a lot about present suffering and future glory in heaven. Verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Now this is likely a verse many of us are familiar with, but it can easily be misinterpreted or dumbed down to, at some point, my life circumstances should be really good. But that is not what Paul is teaching us. God working all things together for good is done by and through Jesus alone. Paul knows his ultimate home is in heaven with Jesus. The good here does not refer to our earthly comfort, but rather closeness and conformity with Jesus, closer fellowship with God, and our final glorification in heaven. His eye is on the true prize, eternity in heaven, where there is no more sin and sadness or slimy pits. This is the ultimate good that awaits us all. So what is happening in the meantime between today and your arrival into heaven? When we are in a relationship with Jesus, God is sanctifying us which is just a fancy word for making your heart more and more like Jesus. The more our hearts are conformed to his, the more good there is being done in our hearts and lives and in his kingdom, even if our earthly circumstances don't look pretty. After the death of my mom, life was extremely difficult. We're about to do a little case study here. There weren't any people in my life besides Amanda who had experienced a tragedy just like that, and that was a really lonely feeling. I put pressure on my poor husband, Kyle, to make me better and resented him when he couldn't. Imagine that. I struggled with mental images of her last minutes. I struggled with knowing if she was truly a Christian. I struggled with the fact that she and her husband just lived but were never truly alive in Christ. I regretted not talking to her more about her faith. But I can honestly say that my life is better now after and because of her death. Now, how in the world can that be? It is solely because the pit of despair is what led me closer to the Lord. And in that, he started to change my heart. Taking me out of the comfortable life I lived was a blessing because I learned for something to satisfy my soul, as we all do, and for the first time was beginning to see that it wasn't found in anyone or anything earthly. I learned that earthly parents are flawed and broken, and God wanted me to see him as the perfect parent all along. I experienced the darkness and hopelessness of loved ones who didn't truly know Jesus, which actually planted the first seeds of evangelism in my life. I grew a genuine desire to know the Bible more, which I discovered is a lifelong process that will never end. I learned that God is the all-knowing and all-powerful one, and we are not supposed to know all the answers. I learned that my life could take a new direction with Jesus front and center, 
And I learned that God gave my sister and me the heart to lead our own families with more spiritual guidance than we had. I learned to admit and proclaim my weakness to others and for the first time be able to talk to God, to talk to others about God. I was closer to Jesus because of my hardship. It was the tragedy that brought me closer to him. Present suffering? Absolutely. But it was being worked together for good, even here on earth. God the Father knew this slimy pit would be a part of his story, and he knew it would be shared one day to bring him glory. This can be true for all of you and your slimy pits. Your pits of destruction can lead you to Jesus, and that is good. So while we may not be able to see good in our earthly circumstances, the goodness is God making our hearts more and more like Jesus. This sanctification is a very gradual process. For a few years after my mom's death, I was growing in my faith for sure, but looking back, I didn't feel the peace and joy that comes from truly knowing Christ. I wanted this though. I admired but also envied people in my life who embodied this. I wanted to be free like them. I wanted to be able to talk to others about Jesus, share my mess, and still feel free. Well, newsflash, you don't just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to start acting and feeling this way. Heart change precedes behavior change, and it was my heart that needed the change. Well, folks, God had a special plan for this little heart of mine, and it involved breaking down some idols and barriers in my life, um, starting to break them down, and those were self-reliance and human approval. Long story short, a couple of years after we moved back here to Birmingham, um, Kyle and I went through a pretty dark season. We had been warned by the military world that leaving military life and entering civilian life was very challenging, and our response was, oh, please. He was a Green Beret. I was teaching at a school in Mountain Brook. We're responsible. We go to church. We've got this. Well, you see where this is going. We hit rock bottom with major career struggle for Kyle, major financial hardship, um, worry, fear. It, it was just very scary and, and very dark. Um, the pit was extra deep. I prayed out loud in my head on paper, often reciting Psalm 40. I tricked myself into thinking that because we were being honest with each other, and I was praying to God a lot that we were being open and honest. But the truth is, we were really hiding our mess from others. Um, I would often think, okay, if I share all this, what will they think of me? What will they think of Kyle? I would share little details to certain people, then forget what I shared, and it was all just exhausting. Um, I finally opened up to our, the ladies in our small group. We were part of a, form, a different church before we came to the Advent, and we were in a small group, and we were the ones that would um, ask for prayer requests for our neighbors or grandparents and things like that, um, afraid to share our deepest, deepest need. But um, one day, I just went all in, and I shared everything with them and immediately felt the chains fall off and wondered why I hadn't done it sooner. Um, I shared, um, we're broke, we're scared, He's depressed, we're miserable, we don't know what to do. And nothing changed, they just loved me even more. Um, the next morning, the leader of that small group invited me to her house, and um, I'll never forget the two pieces of godly wisdom she shared with me. 
First, when I told her that we had stopped giving money to the church because we were so broke, she lovingly pointed out that we were not fully trusting God and that we should trust him to protect and provide for us because he is good. Now, let me preface this by saying this mega church did not need our measly tithe, but it was clear to her that we were trying to be Lord of our own lives and get out of the mess, mess ourselves. She encouraged us to give to God as an act of trust and shared a story about how she remembers as a child her mother always putting money in the offering plate, even when they didn't have money to pay their bills and their water was turned off. My initial thought was, that's remarkable of your mom, but I'm too scared to do that. Next, she later stopped by our house with a generous gift and said that God blessed her family so that they could bless others. It still kind of gets to me. She reiterated, excuse me, she reiterated that everything they have is not theirs, but God's, and also made it clear that it was not her idea, but God's. I was floored. I couldn't fathom giving like that to somebody, and so many thoughts ran through my head. Man, I wish I had trust like that. I wish I had generosity like that. I wish I wasn't ashamed. Well, I still had to go home and share everything with my husband. So I did. And that week was a true turning point in our lives, perfectly orchestrated by our trustworthy and personal God. We took a couple of days to process and pray, but we wound up accepting their gift and recommitted to giving to our church. I remember telling God how scared I was but I promised to tell everyone how he rescued us from this mess, if and when he did. Almost immediately, God began to show us in super bold ways that he would protect and provide for us. It would take two hands to count the number of times we had an unexpected bill or expense, and then within a day or two, a financial blessing would come in the form of a refund or credit, just covering the expense, sometimes to the very dollar. The first time, we were relieved. And naive. The second time, we laughed. Oh my goodness, again. The third time, we were stunned and said, okay, whoa, I think this is God. And the next time, I cried. And the times after that, I just praised him because I knew, I knew he was working in miraculous ways, not just to provide for our daily bread, but to forever change our hearts. Now, I have to say that God has rarely worked that boldly and directly and swiftly in my life. But I think he did during that season because he knew it would be used one day to bring him glory about his power, protection, and provision. He knew I needed to address my self-reliance and my need for human approval. The slimy pit was extra rough and seemed like there was no end in sight, but it was when we surrendered and waited on the Lord to work that our hearts and lives began to change. So let's go back to Psalm 40. When I first came across it in 2010, I stopped at verse 2 because, let's face it, that what was on my phone search. Um, later, when digging into the Bible to find that, um, I noticed verse 3. It says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And this could not be more true. Pits of despair can lead to trusting, knowing, and loving God more, 
which can lead to more confidence in your faith, which will lead to tears sometimes, um, which will lead to more praise to him and more sharing about him. Also want to point out that the Psalms are meant to be sung publicly in a group. So this is not a private matter. It's a rescuing song meant to be sung with a group of people that starts with despair and ends with praise. And this can be true for all of our stories, no matter how big or small your pit of despair is. God will meet you where you are and work on your heart if you surrender it to him. The transformation isn't quick. In fact, it will continue our entire lives, but I promise it's a road you don't want to go back on. If for you, sharing your heart is scary, let me remind you that there is no shame in admitting your deepest weakness and your deepest need for Jesus. It's the very reason he lived, died, and rose again. As sisters in Christ, I encourage you to share your struggles, your real ones, with others because the Lord will use them, no matter how big or small, to draw you to himself so that you too will have a new song of praise in your mouth and that you too can share with others that God is working all things for good. David Paul Tripp, who has written several books, also wrote New Morning Mercies, says, Our Redeemer is zealous for one thing, the renewal of all things. If things are needing renewal, that is evidence that they are broken. For the Christian, this is hopeful. The good news of the gospel is that God sent Jesus to earth to dwell among creation to live the perfect and sinless life that we couldn't, to live up to God's perfect and holy standards, to be the blameless and acceptable sacrifice in place of us so that we could be in a relationship with God, become his children, and be recipients of his perfect love, his perfect timing, and his perfect will to work all things together for good, even your pits of despair, until we enter heaven for eternity. We don't deserve it, and we can't earn it. It's a free gift given out of love. So to sum this up, we will have despair. We are called to wait on the Lord. God is close and hears our prayers. We are not the rescuers. God is. And he is working all things together for good, sanctifying your heart here on earth as you get closer and closer to your eternity in heaven. I'll end one last time with Psalm 40 verses 1 through 3 this time, and I pray you feel encouraged. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The psalm ends at verse 17, and David writes, But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for your word and for the truth and knowledge it blesses us with. Lord, I just pray that you bless each woman here today, each daughter of yours, with the peace and the hope and the joy that comes from life in Christ. In your son Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, 
we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.